Chapter 2. The Bottle Trees Two figures crouched near the base of a giant oak tree. Huge, knotted roots sprawled in the center of twisting, creeping shadows. The first figure, a large black man with arms of mahogany, fists like rocks, and shoulders broader than mountains, went down on one knee in the soft, damp earth. He rested his hand on a smooth log beside him. You sure this is necessary, B.R.? His voice rumbled like a thousand trains all heading to the same place. The second figure, a rabbit as big as a kindergartner, twitched nervously and snapped. Of course I'm sure, John. Hurry up. We need to get this over with. Something clanked in the distance and the rabbit jumped. Now! Okay, B.R., okay, John said. He straightened up and up and up until his silhouette seemed larger than the old tree. But you need to lend this old tool some power. I can't do it alone. Whatever, just get on with it. John picked up the log, except it wasn't a log. It was a handle, the smooth shaft of a massive hammer. Carvings were etched up and down the wood, and it hummed as giant hands found familiar grooves. John, with a hammer. No way. I knew that name. Those characters. John Henry and B.R. B.R. Br'er Rabbit? But... Br'er Rabbit put his paws on the huge iron head of the hammer and began to speak in a low tone. His whispers swirled and grew until they sounded like shouts and drumming and stomping feet. The hammer's head, a thick metal block marred with pits and scrapes, began to glow with blazing red-hot light, and John pressed it against a tangle of roots. A yawning black hole opened in the ground at the base of the tree. John bent over and picked up a small object off the ground. I couldn't make out what it was. Go, he said to it, setting it gently into the hole. Go in now and find it. Find it. Find it. Click, click, click. I yanked my hands off the journal with a gasp. Sweat poured down my face and I was pressed against the back seat of the Cadillac as we motored along. The storm clouds had finally dissolved and the sun was almost at the horizon, its orange and red rays pouring through the window. What was that? A dream? Had I fallen asleep while reading? Then why had it felt so real? And why was the journal closed on the seat next to me? You okay, baby? Nana asked without turning around. Click, click, click. Her knitting needles moved furiously. Was it my imagination or was she sweating too? Tristan? Click, click, click. But the pressure of that... Whatever it was still sat on my chest and locked my mouth. It felt hot and cramped and smothering in the car, like I'd been tucked in with a giant itchy wool blanket and suddenly I couldn't breathe. I somehow managed to lurch over to the door and open the window to try to get some fresh air. Tristan! Boy, put that window up, Grandad barked from the front. Letting all the dust get in here. Is you out your mind? One breath. Two breaths. Tristan! Grandad twisted around, but it was Nana who placed a hand on my knee and suddenly the pressure was gone. I reluctantly shut the window, then took a deep breath. The feelings of something pressing down on me had faded to a lurking presence. I could handle that, though it made my neck itch. Nana removed her hand, but kept peering at me, a worried look on her face. You okay, baby? I nodded. Answer your grandmother when she... 
Hush, Walter, Nana scolded. Mind the road. I shook my head. Just got a little carsick, I think. Nana watched me as if she suspected that wasn't true, but she didn't pry any further. Why don't you try to take a nap, dear? Only another hour or so, and then we'll be at the farm, and you and Granddad have some work to do before supper. She turned back around, but just for a second, I could have sworn her eyes glanced at the journal. Click, click, click. Nana continued knitting. I looked at the journal on the other end of the seat. After a moment's hesitation, I reached over and shaded it with my hands, already knowing what would happen, but checking anyway. The journal pulsed quicker and stronger with a bright green glow. Some time later, Granddad slowed down and turned onto a bumpy gravel road that climbed up a long hill. We're here, he said. I jerked out of a daze. I slipped Eddie's journal into my backpack, then stretched and looked warily out the window. Everything looked... Well, it looked like the country. Yay. We are? Where? I asked. Home, sweetie, Nana said, packing up her knitting and turning to smile at me. Just in time for me to get dinner started. Still about an hour left of sun, Granddad said. Can at least get part of that old fence fixed. The car chugged to the top of the hill, and I sat up as the strong family farm sprawled out to the horizon. A patchwork quilt of green and brown fields surrounded a huge barn and a slightly smaller house. Rows of corn stood at attention as the Cadillac ambled past, like a chariot returning with the land's king and queen. And Nana and Granddad did seem to sit up straighter as we got closer to the house. Even I could feel it, a tug from something that had been in my family for generations. This was our douchey, our territory, the strong domain. My nose pressed against the window, breath fogging the glass. I spotted a stand of trees at the far corner of the farm. They were old, like a section of forest that time had, forgot, had forgotten. Their twisted, giant trunks were bunched together like some sort of crowd or guards. As I stared at them, the pressure on my chest came back, the feeling from before. Someone or something was out there searching. Searching for me. A flash between the branches caught my eye as we drove past. What's that? I asked. What's what, sweetie? In those trees, over there. Something's shining. Granddad shook his head. More foolishness. That's what it is. Hush, Walter, Nana said. That's just the bottle tree forest, baby. The what? What sort of trees were those? And there was another one. Something flashed again, like light on a mirror or glass. Bottle trees. Oh, now, would you look at that? I skipped a stitch. What was I saying? Oh, the bottle trees. I could have sworn I've talked up one wall and down the other about this before. She turned around in her seat. Slaves carried the practice over with them from Africa as a way to capture and dispose of any haints wandering around. Haints? I pressed my nose against the glass and squinted. Evil spirits, baby. Lord knows, plenty of those rambling about. What with... Well, anyway, don't you worry about it, nun, Nana continued. I don't want you messing around over there. Them old trees aren't for playing on. You liable to hurt yourself. Need to cut them down, Grandad grumbled, but Nana just shooed the words away with her hand. Hush, Walter. Now look, Tristan, over there. 
She started playing tour guide as we drove up to the house and I settled back, unable to shake the tingling feeling that something weird was going on. Grab that end, boy, and lift. Lift! Stop half-stepping and put your back into it. I heaved at the end of a log as Granddad and I slid it into the empty top slot of a pole. We dropped it into place and I sagged against the repaired fence with a sigh. We'd been working for the last hour, racing the sun to get this section of fence fixed, and I was exhausted. I hadn't even had a chance to drop off my bags. I picked up my backpack, and Eddie's journal nearly fell out of the open compartment. I could have sworn I'd closed the zipper. Granddad watched me put it away and shook his head. The back pocket of his overalls then put it away and rolled his sleeves down. You need to leave that writing nonsense alone, boy. Ain't gonna get you nowhere but confused. I didn't say anything. What you got to write about anyway? Video games? TV? All that city life got you boys soft. I would have had your dad out here at the break of dawn. How you think he got them heavyweight shoulders? Strong's work, boy. I squeezed the straps of the backpack until they cut into my palms, but I didn't say anything. He spat out the twig he was chewing. <laughs> Go on, then, and run that extra wire back to the barn. Then clean up for dinner. Hurry up now, your grandmother's waiting. I grabbed the spool of wire and stalked down the trail toward the barn. I heard Granddad grumbling to himself, and I tried to ignore it. No matter what I did or where I went, someone always wanted to tell me what I was doing wrong and what I should do different. You're pretty big, Tristan. Go play football. Stop reading comic books, Tristan, and go read a real book. Stop... I looked up, suddenly aware that the world had gone quiet. I mean, nothing made a sound. No birds, no squirrels, no rustling leaves. Even the wind held its breath. The old stand of trees loomed in front of me. How long had I been walking? How had I found myself here? The shadows on the ground deepened and stretched toward me. Thick vines around the trunk seemed to curl like fingers beckoning me closer. They felt desperate, needy. The trees grew larger and larger, and it took me a second to realize that it was because I was walking toward them. Find it. The words boomed and crashed in my head, a thunderstorm of a command, and I froze. They were the same words, the same voice for my dream in the car. That had been a dream, right? I had reached the, I had reached the edge of the trees. A breeze gusted softly from the dark center of the forest, almost like a breath. It smelled old, earthy, like whatever was in there hadn't been disturbed in years. I didn't want to be the first new intruder. And yet, I took a step forward. Tristan! Tristan! Nana's voice broke whatever spell had fallen over me, and I shook my head to clear the cobwebs. My right foot hovered in the air, inches away from entering the shadows. I slowly placed it on the ground, then retreated a few steps. I squinted into the trees. Something was in there, and it wanted me. I could feel it. Tristan, dinner time! Nana's voice floated out of the sky, riding the breeze in the way only an elder's voice could. I backed up farther, then turned and ran through the cornfield to the farmhouse. No way are you going in those woods, I told myself. No way. I was wrong.